Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Guys, uh, listen, I'm so grateful for you and so thankful that God has brought us as a church over the last year and, and so many months that, you know, God has truly been faithful to us as a church. Can we just give the Lord a hand one more time for that? We're so grateful for that. Um, before we get into um, the message today, can we just greet everybody who's joining us online? Those of you at home or online in Jeffco Jail, we love you. We're so grateful for you. You're a part of us, and we're so grateful for you. Guys, before I get into this message today, I do have a quick little announcement. You know, here at Faith, we truly believe in relationships. We believe that God has brought us together to be a church to cultivate relationships together. And so part of that whole understanding is that God just didn't save you just then to, to let you go off on, you know, on your own and do whatever and, and because he has more for you. And we are always growing. We are always developing. And God brought us together and saved us to bring, make us a part of a large body, which is our church and our large gathering. Also, he brought us together to be a part of small gatherings. So the New Testament model is that God birthed a church, which large worship, small group worship, and gathering gathering the discipleship, and so we want to continue that, and so we are launching our small groups, and so we have all different types of options, we have all different types of, of ways you can engage with other people, and I think what 2020 reminded us is that the relationships that we thought maybe weren't that important were actually really, really important to us, and God wants to lead us together as a body, and so we are living in a time that we need each other, if I say amen to that. We need each other. We need people who, who believe in the word of God, who believe in the grace of God. And so we want to go on a journey together. But before we launch our small groups, we need leaders. And we're asking you to consider being a leader here to lead a small group. There are people who would love for you to lead a small group. Now listen, we're not, we're not, we don't need Bible scholars. We're not asking for, for you know, people with, a, with a, a doctoral in theology. We need people who are willing vessels to say, yeah, I can facilitate, I can be a host, I can either host maybe a room in the church or, or a place at a coffee shop or in my home or someone's home, whatever it is, or online virtually. And so we want, we're looking for those types of leaders. So, so I would just ask you today to consider being a leader to help being a part of God's kingdom as we move things forward. Amen. So if you, if you are interested, our small group leadership training is, is Sunday the 24th at 11 a.m. So second service, it'll be going on. And you can register at faith.church slash, faith.church slash register. And then if you want to do virtual training as well, you can email groups at faith.church for all, those, um, inf- all that information, any questions that you, were, you will have. Everybody say amen to that. Well, guys, we're continuing the Sermon on the Mount, which is really Jesus's Um, sermon of the foundation of his kingdom. You know, many times when we come into the kingdom of God, we forget sometimes that we are joining a family. And maybe even after you've served God for a long time, you forget that you're a part of the kingdom of God. You're a part of a family. and And just like any good family, you have family culture, right? And so now some, some families have cultures, you're like, ah, that's kind of weird. Some families have cultures, I wish I would, I, I, we had that in my family or that, a little bit more of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the kingdom and the family culture of Jesus, he takes some time to lay out what he wanted his culture to be. That is the Sermon on the Mount. 
He begins by dealing with our attitudes. He begins by dealing with how we see one another, how we see God, how we see him. And he's dealing with this and processing through establishing a kingdom. And so here you have Jesus who, who took his disciples up on a hillside. And you can go there today in the, in the area. And it overlooked the Sea of Galilee, which is such a beautiful, amazing place. And he took his disciples up to tell them what he wanted their lives to be like. He was telling them the culture. He was telling them the attitudes. He was telling them, hey, now that you are becoming a part of my family, it's very important that you understand these things. And he began to speak things to them that were actually counter-cultural. But what I love about this passage and this story is that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He just has around 5,000 eavesdroppers that are listening to this whole conversation. Because he took them to talk to his disciples. Because those 12 disciples would be the ones who would then duplicate that culture as they go out and preach the gospel. And I want you to wrap your heads around this. You have, you have the disciples, 12 of them. They are the ones who were commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They are the reasons and the reason that you and I are here today. They preached it and it spread. They preached it and it spread. But for Jesus, he wanted to make sure they understood. Hang on a second. Hang on. This is my culture, not the world's culture. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not telling them how to come into his family. He's telling them, once you are in my family, this is how I want you to act. This is what I want from you. And these are some of the things that if you will ask me to help you live them out of your life, you will actually end up living the life that you really want. All of us want to make a difference in the world. All of us have this desire in us like, man, we were, we were created for more than this. Every one of us knows that. Every one of, this, one of us understands that. And Jesus was laying the foundation, which is counter-cultural to the culture of the world. And now, once he told them, this is what he said too. After you come into my kingdom, this is who you are. You are now salt and you are now light. You are now going to be healing a decaying world. You're now going to be a light on a hill that can't be hidden. Your light's going to shine before all men because of your good works. And it's going to bring glory to me and bring more people into my kingdom. That you are going to be a hope for a cold and hopeless world. You're going to be, you're going to be warmth for a cold and desperate world. And this is the beauty of the kingdom of God. Now, let's be honest. As we follow God, many times we forget of our family culture, don't we? Because we are bombarded all the time with, well, this is how you should act. This is how you should believe. Well, this, that's not fair, so you need to respond in the same spirit as the world. But Jesus said, uh, hang on, hang on. Uh -uh, that is not for my kingdom. You are to respond and to be people that are different than the world. Everybody say different. And so we want to lean into the teachings of Jesus. But before we come to this passage, you know, when I read all of the different accounts of the Bible, I don't know if you're like me, but I always like to put myself there. Like I like to imagine myself. Like, I, you know, I, I would love to have been at the Red Sea when Moses parted and the children of Israel walked out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. But, but more, I, I would love to to walk on dry ground on the, on the seabed of the Red Sea and to smell the salt or the, or the seaweed or the, or, or, and the sea of fish swimming by or to reach out and touch the wall of water. I would have loved to have been there. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Or to be there when Noah is building 
the ark and to be somehow a part of that and, and, and to be on the ark for the, like you get in the ark and you've got all the, you got all the, all the animals there and, and all of a sudden the, the Lord shuts the door, says the Lord shut them in and, and they're like, well, it's, what's that moisture? Well, I, I, it's, it's rain. Well, what's that? I don't know, but it's coming. And all of a sudden the, the water starts to rise and they can hear it. And then for the first time, the ark lifts and begins to float. And they're thinking, well, man, what kind of ride is this going to I would have loved to have been there. There's actually a joke about Noah's ark, about church life, and I'll just share it with you. Um, it says this. It says, the family of God in the church is a lot like Noah's family in the ark. If it weren't for the trouble on the outside, we wouldn't be able to stand the stench on the inside, actually. That's funny. I'm just, that's just funny. I would have loved to have seen John the Baptist, who was out in the wilderness, telling of a coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, and then be there at the baptism of Jesus. Just be a, just be a spectator as Jesus was baptized, and then as he came out of the water, to, it, to some it just sounded like thunder and, and some noise, but we read it, it is the voice of God that spoke over Jesus. I would have loved to have seen that and experienced that. Same way I would have loved to be with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. As he began to speak, he opened his mouth and the first words I would have loved for the hush to come over the crowd. Because no one has spoken like this before. To sense that the weightiness and the grace and the life in the words of Jesus. Because he carried and he spoke with power. Not that he was louder than others. It was that every word he spoke pierced the hearts of men and women. So much so actually at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 it says the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one having authority. You see, authority is the basis of the kingdom of God. Authority is the basis of the family of God. And it is Jesus who holds that authority, the one who commands. He's the one when he speaks something Resonates. And today, as we lean into this passage today, I want you to just capture for a moment, it is the same words that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same authority that can pierce the hearts of people. It's the same voice that speaks deeply to every one of us today. And I would, I would invite you to open your heart to hear his voice. So many times when you, when you teach the Word of God, when you hear it, you know, it's, uh, it, it can be very challenging. It can cut us in ways we like, I didn't like that. And did that ever happen to anybody? When you lean into the word, you're like, wow, I, did, I actually, I didn't like that because I didn't, I didn't think I had that in me. And then the Lord just went to the heart of really what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. And then he also, though, here's the beauty about the word of God. It, it, offers, it offers to expose the things in our life while also offering to heal, while actually offering us to live the life we've always wanted. And so there's no greater understanding as we read Scripture today. There's no greater authority than the authority of Scripture. It surpasses the opinion of man. I hope you know that. 
It cuts to the heart of every human being. Why? Because it's the word of God that was made flesh. And when Jesus arrived and began to declare the culture of his kingdom from the Sermon on the Mount, it was laying a foundation. It was, it was drawing a line in the sand. And why can Jesus speak like he can? And then we'll, we're going to get into the passage. Why? Can, because, listen, from Genesis to Revelation, there is a story that is being told that is pointing to the one that would come. The promise to Abraham was not about Abraham. It was about the promise of the seed, which is Jesus Christ, that would be the blessing to the world. The fall of the man in the garden was about Jesus who would come. The promise out of Genesis 3 that one would come and the enemy would strike his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent. Guess who that was about? It was about Jesus. Every, from the prophets to all of the stories, all the accounts, Noah's ark was a picture of, of Jesus being the ark that would save us from the wrath of sin in the world. It is all about Jesus. So when Jesus speaks, he's just not speaking. What we read the words today, it's just not words. It is the authoritative words of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we are going to receive that today. Amen? So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to, to hear the words of Jesus. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish... I've, Excuse me, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. This is actually the passage we're going to use today, and I'll save the other one for later. But the question for this today is that as Jesus pulled his disciples aside, as he began to lay down the foundation of the kingdom of God, what was he saying to us? What was he calling them? What, what culture was he, was he developing? And just like Jesus called them, he's called you. He has chosen you. He's chosen us to live in the culture of his kingdom. So there are some kingdom principles for you and I to understand from this passage today. Now please know there is a lot in this passage a lot in this passage. I'm only going to have one point today. And everybody says amen, right? Here's a preacher joke. If I didn't have that point, it would be pointless. But anyway, move on from there. That was really dumb. Dad joke, please forgive me. So, but this one point today in understanding what is Jesus saying about his culture and about you today. So I'm going to talk about the foundations of the king's culture. What is Jesus saying about his kingdom? And this is the only one point today about the kingdom of God that's very, very important in the world that we live. In the kingdom culture, one, we stand on the authority of Scripture. We stand on the authority of Scripture. Why is this important that we understand that as believers, especially in today's world? Because we live in a world that's constantly telling us what to believe. And then if we don't believe it, we, are, we can be shamed, we can be canceled, we can be rejected. Or, we, the fact is, we as Christians, we live in a world where, where we have books and blogs with different preachers and teachers and YouTube channels and doctrines and movements 
that all sound and look very exciting. They draw a crowd and they're, they're wow, they're so fun. And, and oh, this person really knows what's going on. No, this person really has the corner on this market. No, this person, and, and that's why I follow them because they're the only ones that actually know. That here's, here's what I've always said. If someone is teaching something that's never been taught before, I would ask the question, why on earth has it never been taught before? But we can be seduced into finding all these, these things that look great and they sound good. But how do we know if it's right? How do we know if it's true? How do we know if, if that teaching is actually part of the kingdom of God? What keeps us from being tossed about from every wind of doctrine, wind of teaching, wind, idea and emotion? It is truly only the word of God that gives us perfect truth in today's world. I hope you understand that. And we come under the authority of Scripture. And even though something looks good, something sounds good, something actually affirms what I thought all along, well, I really knew that all along, and this guy says it's true, so therefore, since he agrees with me, I agree with him. How do we know, how do we know as, as we try to f- figure out, you know, oh, wait, this allows me to be a part of the secret club, the secret group? How do we know no matter how I feel, What's the purpose of Scripture? It's, it's simply this. No matter what I hear, no matter how, what I feel, no matter what I read in, in other sources, when I check it out, what does it mean to be submitted to the authority of Scripture? When I check out whatever the teaching is, with the whole counsel of Scripture, not just one Scripture out of context to fit a particular idea, when I take the whole counsel of Scripture and if I'm under the authority of Scripture and submitted to it, if it doesn't check out to the whole counsel of Scripture, at that moment that I see it, I reject everything else that I've heard and I submit to the authority of Scripture because in His kingdom, the Scripture is our standard and when I submit to it, I am protected by it. And when I'm protected by it, I'm able to live the life that God's called me to live. Amen? So important. It's a very basic, simple truth that I want you to catch today. But without the authority of Scripture that Jesus talks about, Jesus wasn't wasn't devaluing Scripture. He was actually elevating, holding it in high honor for the purpose of his kingdom. Without the authority of Scripture, there are no standards. There are no absolutes, which is the old joke. And When you go to university, they tell you there are no absolutes whatsoever. Absolutely. There are... Without Scripture, there are no standards. We're tossed by opinions and ideas and convincing theories. And then, but then, when the Word of God speaks, when we read it, when it draws a line in the sand, when it makes a distinction in my personal life, when it makes a distinction between what I want versus what the Word says, it draws a line in the sand. And that at at that point, every thought Every opinion of man that doesn't align with the word of God becomes a liar. And the word of God declares that this is truth because it's built on truth. So why is it that Jesus could come and and make these statements about his kingdom? Why is it that he could establish and lay lay down the line in his kingdom? The fact is this, when Jesus came on the scene, when he starts preaching this Sermon on the Mount, he made all the religious leaders, they were were nuts. He drove them nuts. They hated him. And the question is, why did Jesus make statements like he fulfilled Scripture? 
Because before Jesus, all there was was the written law, which is the law of God. But now the word, when Jesus speaks, the word had been made flesh. The one that spoke at that moment about the scriptures was the one, the word that came. The word that was written now is the word that is and is the flesh. And leading up to Jesus, think about this for a moment. I just, again, I just want you to catch the authority of the kingdom of God. But leading up to Jesus, when a prophet spoke, you have all the beautiful the prophets of old. When a prophet would spoke, he would say, thus says the Lord, and then he would say it. Or they would say, this is the word of the Lord, and then they would give the word of the Lord. But when Jesus started speaking, he said this, I say to you. What was he saying? He's saying, hang on, I, I, am, I am the authority that the prophets walked in. I am the authority in the law in the Old Testament. I am the authority. He didn't say, thus says the Lord. He said, I say to you. And then he would go even further and say, you've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you, it's this way. What was Jesus doing? He was establishing a baseline for his kingdom that he's invited you and I into. I would have loved to have been there. I, again, just putting yourself on the side of that hill with the religious leaders. I would love to have been there with the, the, the ultra-religious Pharisees. Their body language, their anger. Jesus wasn't doing it their way. And Jesus said, I, I, I know the law says this, but I say this. The time Jesus came on the woman who was caught in adultery. And they were going to stone her. It doesn't say she didn't commit adultery. But according to the law, when you are caught in adultery, you need to be stoned to death. That means rocks thrown at you until you die. Boulders dropped on you until you die. Jesus inserts himself in that moment. And he begins to do what Jesus does. He begins to bring peace to the situation. He begins to reveal the other sins of probably the other rabbis that are standing around, the other Pharisees standing around. And then he tells the woman, hey, sweetheart, where are your accusers? And she lifts her head. And in that moment, he bypasses the law of Moses and he lays down a new understanding that now I have fulfilled the law and therefore you are forgiven from the law that you broke. And she walks away. And he says, go and sin no more. How could someone do this? The Pharisees were ticked off. They were frustrated. Matter of fact, they thought that by studying the scriptures, they would actually find eternal life. Now remember, from Genesis to Revelation, the what, what is it saying? It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the work of the cross. When we read the Bible, what are we doing? We're understanding more about Jesus. It's so important you understand the words of the Bible are the words that point us to Jesus. And without Jesus, you become entrenched into the law. But Jesus then unlocks the word. And then as you read the word, you get the spirit of the word, which is Christ. And then the word points you to Jesus. And then the more you lean into Jesus, the more he points us to the word. And then as we lean into it, he begins to reveal him, himself to us. A lot of people say this, you know, I love Jesus, but you know, you don't really need the Bible. You don't really need it. I just love Jesus. I, I love, I just love Jesus. You're like, that's great. Do you read the Bible? I don't really read the Bible, but I love Jesus. 
You don't really need the Bible. Well, Jesus actually said the very opposite. Because in his kingdom, Scripture is held in high honor. So Jesus, talking to Pharisees, he said this. He says, you study the Scriptures to find eternal life in John chapter 5. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are not the very Scriptures Excuse me, these are the very scriptures that testify about me, meaning the word of God points to Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus is the leader of his kingdom. And so Jesus, in, in this moment, he's always pointing us to the understanding the word of God is our baseline. The word of God is what we follow. Now, when Jesus is on the side of this mountain, the religious leaders are thinking, like, who does this guy think he is? Isn't this the, the illegitimate son of Mary from Nazareth? Isn't this the, the carpenter's son? He can't tell someone their sins are forgiven. He can't tell someone. He can't dismiss a woman who should have been stoned and killed. He can't, who does he think he is? And we find as we lean into the word, he is the word. He is the one. He has fulfilled it. He has embodied it. Therefore, he can execute the word however he chooses. And why am I saying all this today? Because we, my friends, are living in the kingdom of God that is to be different than the kingdom of the world. Why am I saying this today? Because we live in a day and age where, where the people of the world are desperate for a difference to be shown in the, in the sons and daughters of God than there are in the world. And it is, how do, we, how do we make that difference? How do we shine differently? How do we bring salt to a, to a decaying world? How do we do that? We follow the scriptures and we submit ourselves under the authority of scriptures. How is it that, you could, that Jesus could say, you know, I, I didn't come to abolish the, the Old Testament, but I've came to fulfill it. Listen, what Jesus was saying, he, he, was, he, he wasn't doing away with the Bible. He was talking about how he came to obey it perfectly, to fulfill it for us. So in return, when we are in his kingdom, when we come into his kingdom through the blood of, of his sacrifice, the new covenant, he can give us now the ability to obey it and come under its authority. He lived it perfectly so that then when we come to his kingdom, we can then begin the journey of obeying the word. And it becomes the foundation of our lives. Because the truth is this, before Jesus came, the Bible, the law, gave us the rules on how to live our lives, but it did not give us the power to carry it out and live it. Now, Jesus came to give you the life that you, you always wanted. You actually want to live a life that is impactful. You want to live a life that is full of purpose and passion. You want to live a life that is pure. You want to live a life where you're faithful to your husband or your wife. You want to live a life where you're generous. You want to live a life where you can heal the sick and minister life to them and feed the poor. You want to live that life. But here's the deal. You cannot live that life without Jesus. And Jesus is laying the law of his kingdom. And now Jesus came and was, this is what he was saying, that yes, the law is there and you think, I can't live that, I can't follow that. And he says, but I have followed it perfectly. Therefore, when you come into my kingdom, I will empower you to live it and to carry it out. And how he does that when we come into the kingdom that he's speaking of today, 
He changes our hearts. Do you remember before you were saved the, the condition of your heart? Do you remember the filth and the, and the stain of sin on you? Do you remember the darkness that you walked in? Well, when you came into the kingdom, Jesus changed your hearts by his grace. Then he gives us his spirit to obey the word. And then when we fall and when we stumble, his grace is still present. And that grace is applied to us and he cleanses us and he picks us up as we continue to obey his word. As we continue to walk with him and be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. This is a very straightforward word today. And it challenges us as especially American Christians. Where we say, Jason, can't you just tell me all the great things Jesus wants to do for me and let me leave? I, yes, that's in the Bible too. But so is this. That as a community, as a church, as followers of Jesus, we are bound to be followers and submitted to the scriptures. Jesus wasn't lessening the importance or the value of Scripture, he was revealing that he held it in high honor. And that is important to his kingdom. And if we're in his kingdom, it needs to be important to us. Remember this, Jesus is laying the foundation of his kingdom, of his kingdom cultures. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, we live under the authority of Scripture. We live under the authority of Scripture. So what would that look like in your life? How would your life look different if we lived under the authority of Scripture? In other words, what Jesus is saying, this, he's saying this, we live under it. We're not to exercise. Now hang with me for a second. We're not to exercise our authority over it. We're not to say, I appreciate that verse, but actually I don't like it and let's just set that aside. I've often said many times people read the Bible and they highlight the ones they like with the yellow marker, the yellow highlighter, and then they highlight the ones they don't like with the Sharpie. And that's just what they do. Now this isn't to condemn anyone, but this is for us to understand. As a follower of Jesus, when we wonder how we're going to live our lives, we don't ask anyone else except for the word. And then when we read it, we say, okay, that's not me, but Lord, can you help me? When we live under the authority of Scripture, that means that we don't twist it to say what it doesn't mean. And I, listen, I believe we're living in a day and age when, listen, fathers and mothers, you are to hold true to the Word of God in your home. But it's so hard. I don't want to be legalistic. You're not being legalistic if you operate in the grace of Jesus Christ. But the fact is this, standards are important for us to know that God's calling us to something, to live our lives differently. To live under the authority of Scripture isn't to make it shape or fit us. But the truth is this, what Jesus is saying is, listen, for those of you in my kingdom, you are not to ask the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of darkness what a Christian should stand for. Don't ask them what you should stand for. Look at the word. You're not to ask the kingdom of the world what a, what a Christian should believe in. 
And we're like, yeah, but you know, I, I heard this, that I know the word says this, but really it means this, and really that was happening in Rome at that time, and that's really not what it means. The, here's the problem. The Bible says what it means. We're trying to find reasons why it doesn't mean what it means. So we should never ask the world what we should stand for, what a Christian should believe in. We're not to ask the kingdom of darkness how believers are to honor God with our sexuality, with our money, with our resources, with our passions. We're not to ask the kingdom of the world and darkness what we should, now hang on for a second, just hang tight, what we should protest about in the streets. We're not to ask the kingdom of the world and darkness how we need to, how we need to treat those who disagree with us. We're not to say, by golly, well, you did that to me. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just come back with the same spirit. What are you talking? We are not of this world. Our spirit has been transformed and changed. We are not to be like the world. We're not to ask the world, hey, when, when I'm upset, when I see injustice, can you tell me what to do? No, no. In the kingdom of God, where Jesus is our king, we go to the word that speaks about him from Genesis to Revelation. We listen to his word, and if we don't like it, we suck it up, and we ask God to help us obey it. We ask God to give us the grace. When we read it, it's not condemning us, it's just showing us, hey, I'm conforming you. Why does Jesus want to conform me? I'll tell you why. Because he wants you to live the life that you've always wanted to live. We don't ask the world what we would do with our resources, with our passions. We're not to ask the kingdom of this world and this kingdom of darkness what we should do in our relationships, in our marriages, as we raise a family. We don't say, yeah, but you know, my, my cousin Susan, she, she said I should do this in my marriage. She said that, that what her counselor told her, now there's nothing wrong with counseling, but when counseling violates the standards of those in the kingdom of God, it is no longer truth, it's a lie. And so we need to understand as, you're, as we are following Jesus in a dark world, they are desperate for people to shine and to be lights. God invites us to not ask the world what to do, but to seek his word. We're not to ask the world what we're to be wor worried about. We're not to ask the world if we should forgive someone or if we should, if we should cancel someone. We're not to ask the kingdom of darkness how we should feel, how we should think towards white people, towards black people, towards brown people. As people in the kingdom of God, we are to live our lives under the authority of Scripture and strive to be obedient and submissive to it because it is the only authority and standard there is, the true authority and true truth that there is on this earth. And I'll, I'll close with, with this. The world is desperate for the sons and daughters of God to set a, an example of what it means to be people not of this world. They have plenty of examples. 
of what it means to be in this world. They have plenty of examples of what it means to get upset, to get angry, to be bitter, to, to protest, to cancel, to I don't like you and I don't, you don't like me. Well, fine, I don't like you. They, there's plenty of examples. But you know what is lacking and what the world does need? And it is an example that is different than what is ripping the world apart. And the only, the only group of people that is called to set the difference, to draw the line and to say, hey, we're different, are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We're all the world has. And we don't demonstrate to the world what light is by following an earthly man, a woman, a cause, a political party, a movement, a news station, but by followers of Jesus. We make the difference by standing under and submitting to the authority of Scripture in our lives so he can. Now listen to me. He can, as he said previously in this, in this chapter, set us on a hill to shine before all people. Through our good works, we can bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he's called us to be and to do. The word of God is not a manual. It's not something that restricts us. It's just not doctrine. It is the book that gives me life. It's the book that inspires me. It's the book that guides me. It's the book that directs me. It's the book that brings, that brings life and ends death. And it's our guide and it's our authority as believers in Jesus Christ that we come under and we submit to. That's what Jesus has called us to be. And so as we walk the journey of God on this earth, I would just ask you, to seek the scriptures on your emotions, to seek the scriptures on your behaviors, to seek the scriptures on, on what, you're, what you're fighting about. Seek the scriptures on how you should lead your home, how you should be a father, you should be a husband, how you should be a wife, how you should be a mother, how you, how you should be a child. Because people in the kingdom of God are submitted to and under the authority of God through the scriptures that we have. This is a challenging word, but it's God's word. It's God's word that as we walk out our purpose on this earth, that God would use us. And I will tell you this, I'm believing that this year the church is going to shine so bright. as a white, hot light that shines before all men. And so when the world is falling apart and people are freaking out, and they will freak out, and they are freaking out that we could hold strong. And, and they can say, why are you so different? Because, let me tell you why. Because I'm different. I've been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And I know you're freaking out. And I think you're wrong, but I still love you. I, 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 think, your, I think your lifestyle is, I, I don't, listen, yeah, I, I, that is not what God has for you. But first off, it doesn't matter your behavior. What matters is your heart has to be transformed and changed. Before anything changes. As a, as a kingdom follower of Jesus, we focus on the heart. We focus on the message of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave. 
that while we were yet enemies of, of him, he died on a cross for us. That's our example. Do we have enemies in the world? You better believe it. But who's our model? Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to love those around me differently than how they love those around them. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what he's called me to do. Could we have difficult days ahead? Absolutely. Is that going to damper our light? No way. Only in darkness our light gets brighter. Amen. And so for your families, for your home, let this be the year that you invest into submitting to Scripture. You invest into treasures in heaven. And you invest into living your life from the kingdom culture of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word that challenges us so deeply, speaks to us, changes us. Lord, today, I think, me included, we all are challenged deeply that we have been looking and asking the world what we need to be fighting about. We're looking to the world or media what we need to be standing up against. And Lord, some of us are called into those different arenas. But we do it for the glory of God. We do it differently than other people do it. And so, Lord, today, in our families, in our homes, in our marriages, and how we raise our children, we just ask you, first off, God, forgive us for not submitting under the authority of Scripture. Forgive us for championing these Scriptures and ignoring the ones we don't like. Forgive us, Lord, for wanting to be in your kingdom but live by different kingdom rules, our rules. And God, today I know you are inviting all of us to take a step forward, to surrender areas of our life that need to be surrendered, and to walk out what it means to be light and to be salt. God, may we today bring healing into our decaying relationships. May today, God, we understand what you teach later in your sermon, God, where you talk about how we relate, how we forgive one another, how we are to, to offer forgiveness and not hold bitterness. Lord, today, we don't make excuses for our bitterness, but we ask for your forgiveness for our bitterness. Lord, this is the year that you're going to be, bring great unity in your body. And Lord, that first step is for us to submit ourselves to the authority of you and your word. So Lord, today we apply that truth to our homes, to our marriages, to our finances, to our workplaces, to our minds, to our spirits. And we give you our lives and we receive from you the power and the peace to keep walking by your grace and trusting that you will give us the power to be the, the people who were called out from among them to be different. And so, Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would draw all men unto yourself. Cleanse us, heal us today, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed. If you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus. I'm not a part of his kingdom, and I want to become a part of that kingdom today. If you're here and nobody's looking around and you want to 
give your life to Jesus and be saved. Just raise your hand right where you are. Just lift it up just before the Lord. God bless you. Thank you. Just hold it up. Nobody's looking around. Thank you. God bless you. Bless you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God bless you guys. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The Lord says if you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth that you will be saved. If you're joining us online, you can do the same right where you are. Just lift your hand and say, I want to be saved. The Lord is calling you to be a part of his kingdom and to be different. But we're going to pray with you, all of you who raised your hand. If you didn't and you still want to give your life to Jesus, you can pray this as well. So just repeat after us as your family. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I give you my life today. I'm sorry that I rejected you and I've ran from you. Today I give you my life. Cleanse me. Give me a new mind, a new heart. And take my life and use it for your glory. Thank you for making me a part of your family. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. And from this moment forward, I'm going to follow you with your help. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today? Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today, just a quick favor, just right in front of you is a connect card, and you can just fill that out, check the box, and when you leave, you can drop it in the white, bo- uh, white buckets when you leave. And uh, we want to reach out to you and help you on this journey like all of us are on together. We just would love to be able to help you in that journey. Let's all stand to our feet. And if you would allow me to, I'd be honored to pray God's blessing over your life and over your families today. So if you can, just lift your hands to surrender to the Lord. And it's a posture of receiving. So Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus as the pastor of these people in this church, as an under-shepherd to you. But Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them. That, Lord, you would unwind every lie that they've believed that has come from the world. God, today I pray that you would restore everything the enemy has stolen from them. God, I pray that you would begin to heal pain from the past. You would begin to help them to release of bitterness and unforgiveness. That, God, by your grace you would overwhelm them and that they would sense your care and your love. Bless them, Lord. Strengthen their marriages. Strengthen them as they pursue a career that you've called them. Strengthen, God, every young adult, every teenager. Let them stand strong. Let them stand as light. Let them be salt. And, God, may we leave here today understanding that you are with us. Protect us, mind, soul, and body. And may we continue to be the church you've called us to be as we submit to you. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen.